Welcome to the Powers Report podcast. I am your host, Janice Powers. The show brings you candid, unique, and data-driven perspectives on the healthcare industry. I believe that any solution that is going to positively impact the American healthcare system has to satisfy two major criteria, financial viability and behavioral incentive alignment. In other words, access to high quality care can only be achieved if we can afford it and if we behave in ways that optimize our health. Please subscribe to our show on your preferred podcasting platform and connect with us on social media. Again, this is Janice Powers and welcome to the Powers Report podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Um, on this episode, I'm excited to announce that we have another guest, and this time we're going professional. We've got a doctor in the house. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Paul Thomas. Dr. Thomas is a board-certified family medicine physician practicing in Corktown, Detroit. His practice is Plum Health DPC, a direct primary care service that is the first of its kind in Detroit and Wayne County. His mission is to deliver affordable, accessible healthcare services in Detroit and beyond. So he's got his work cut out for him. He has been featured on WDIV TV Channel 4, WXYZ Channel 7, Cranes Detroit Business, and CBS Radio. He has been a speaker at TEDx Detroit. He's a graduate of Wayne State University School of Medicine and now a clinical assistant professor. Finally, as if that wasn't enough, he is an author of two books, Direct Primary Care, The Cure for Our Broken Healthcare System, and Startup DPC, How to Start and Grow Your Direct Primary Care Practice. So welcome to the show, Dr. Thomas. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, my pleasure. Um, and to reiterate to our listeners, I'd like to have uh, different guests on the show from different areas of healthcare, because one of the things that we like to do at the Powers Report is explain to listeners how they can access different ways to sort of meet the mission of the show, which is to help people optimize their health through, I think, better channels of care delivery. And we haven't talked about direct primary care on the show really very much at all. So that's why you know you're an ideal guest outside of just being a physician. It's great to get um, your your views as like a a real proponent of DPC. So just for the crew, um, can you explain to the listeners what direct primary care is, and maybe explain the nuances between DPC and concierge medicine? Because I think folks may be a little more familiar with the concierge medicine um, label. Certainly. Um, we believe that healthcare should be affordable and accessible for everyone. And that's why, why I do what I do, which is direct primary care. And the way we achieve this is through this membership model for healthcare. My patients pay $10 a month for kids and starting at $50 a month for adults to be a part of my service. And when they're a member of our service, they can call, text, or email me anytime they need me. We guarantee a same day or next day appointment, and we save our patients 50 to 90% on meds, labs, and imaging services. You know, best of all, you don't have to have insurance. You can have insurance if you want to. 
I recommend that people carry some sort of catastrophic coverage plan to insure against catastrophe, mm -hmm. thus medical insurance. Um, <laughs> however, you don't need it. So, you know, to contrast to concierge medicine, in concierge medicine, the average cost is about $2,400 a year, $2,400 a year, usually paid in a lump sum, you know, the first of the year that covers you for the year. And in addition, the doctor will bill you every time you come through, through your insurance, and they will also um, not save you any money on meds, labs, or imaging services. They assume that you're going to have a like platinum uh, health insurance plan and that you're going to be price insensitive for any other services that they render. So the, those are the big differences. Usually direct primary care is somewhere in the range of 50 to $100 a month um, and it's billed monthly and you don't need to have insurance necessarily to engage with a direct primary care doctor. And those doctors are trying to save their patients money on labs, meds, and imaging services, usually getting those services at cost. Okay. So I want to break this out. Um, given my background in uh, provider side healthcare and costs. So $10 for children a month is, um, you know, 10 bucks for anything that's cheaper than Netflix. I mean, <laughs> so that, you know, the, the question really is like, how do you, how can you afford to deliver that kind of care? Because kids don't get sick all that much. So you can, you can sort of, you know, as a person imagine, all right, this kid's going to come in once or twice a year, maybe, or, you know, if it's, if it's, I just have to write a prescription or do some sort of test for, uh, you know, strep throat or something like that. It's not expensive, but even the adults at 50 bucks a month is, uh, you know, how do you, do you, how do you afford that if you're just doing direct primary care as a provider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really don't like the word provider. I prefer doctor. Okay, good. Um, doctor. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you. I am a doctor. I'm not a provider. <laughs> All right. Um, and, you know, as a physician, we make money in this model through the membership. If we have 500 members paying us roughly you know, $60 a month, that comes out to about $30,000 uh, per month in revenue. And let's say the overhead per doctor is about $10,000 to rent the clinic space, buy the medications and pay for the labs and all that kind of stuff. Then you're left with about $20,000 monthly or $240,000 a year. And that's the average salary for a physician, a family physician in the United States. So you can see where that's really attainable where that's really achievable. And so that's basically how our model works. We, we at scale with uh, 500 members, we're earning about $60 per member per month in revenue. And that's how this model works. Mm -hmm. So if you were, so you don't accept any insurance then? We don't bill or use insurance at all. Okay. However, you know, let's say you need to pick something up at the pharmacy, we could prescribe it. And then you could use your insurance there at the pharmacy. Likewise, let's say you want to get an MRI of your knee. If you're billed through your insurance, it might be $3,000 and you could use your insurance at the imaging center. Or if you want to pay cash, the cost of that knee MRI would be $300 at the imaging center that we prefer. Mm -hmm. So this has been a real, uh, 
interesting, and I want to get to the low cost on the the other ancillary services, the lab and all that, and I guess we'll, we'll sort of tip into it now. But one of the things we've talked about on the show is this idea that, um, you know, I don't believe that people should have these bloated insurance plans that really what they should be doing is having catastrophic insurance for like legit insurance for things that they don't know they're going to get. And one of the things that, you know, I'm doing with my company, Know Thyself, is we're predicting patient outcomes. And, you know, we're trying to get to the midlife things that people can get that, you know, like gallstones, hernia, like knee replacements, things like that. They're not going to send someone, you know, to the hospital for a catastrophic uh, health event. Although for some people, you know, replacing a knee can be pretty traumatic, especially if they're obese or, you know, have other health issues. But we're, we're trying to get people to understand that a lot of this stuff can be done in the outpatient environment, in a cheaper environment. You know, the challenge is, you know, they're just not good health consumers. And one of the things I've heard from other physicians, other doctors about this sort of cash model is that when you start to get into using these ancillary services like imaging or lab, if you're not connected to those practices, then it's difficult for you, the doctor, to get access to the imaging or the lab work because there's no like electronic connection because you're not hooked up with these folks. So you is it so it's then becomes incumbent on the patient to go pick up the lab work. Like for example, I took my son to an orthopedist and he recommends a different uh, imaging company than the one that his pediatrician used. So I had to go back to the pediatrician's office, pick up the scans, the CD, and bring it over to his office. Even though it was on insurance, he just wasn't connected to them. Do you have this problem, you know, or, or challenge, or have you heard pushback from your patients about it? No, I don't have that problem. The imaging center that we work with provides us with an online portal where we can see all of the imaging in real time and download the reports and take screenshots. So just today I had a brain MRI for one of my patients. I downloaded the PDF report and I took some screenshots of the white matter lesions that were found. And I emailed them over to our patient so that he could visually see them. And then I faxed all that information, our most recent lab report, his visit note from uh, our visit yesterday, and I emailed it over to his neurologist, who he's seeing today, um, because we set that up for him. So, you know, when we get lab work done through Quest, we're able to download that lab work directly into our chart, and that's seamless, and we're able to communicate that with our patients. Now, I agree that in healthcare in general, it's very difficult to get one company's EMR to talk to another company's EMR, EMR, and that's done intentionally. Meaning that, um, let's say you go to big box hospital A, they want to retain you for life. So they're going to make it very difficult for you to get your records from that hospital to big box hospital B or any other clinician or doctor at that other big box hospital B, because they don't want you to go back and forth. They want you to see only their specialist, only their orthopedist. And I think that's a real um, barrier to care for folks. And that's, those are the kind of barriers that I'm trying to knock down. What I want to do as a doctor 
is serve my patients with excellent primary care and then refer them to the best specialists in our community, period, regardless of which big box hospital they work for. And when I was working at you know big box hospital A in the past, they said I could only refer to this GI doctor because that was the only GI doctor that they had, even though they did a crappy job, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> for our patients. It was extremely frustrating. And I said to myself, I'm never going to practice in an environment where I'm restricted on who I can refer to based on insurance network or based on hospital affiliation. That's not how I want to use my license. And that's not how I want to help people. Well, I, I love that. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to emphasize with my company, Know Thyself, is that people, they don't realize how much choice they have. I feel like so much in the industry has been, you know, it, it's almost like, well, you don't have choice, but we're going to give you choice because we're going to let you, you know, choose from these different insurance plans. Well, they're all the same. I mean, it's, and you don't get to choose what's on the plan because that's just, you know, that's ACA, you know, required. You don't get to choose it. If you're on Medicaid, you don't choose. So let's not pretend that people are choosing. Um, I think what we have to think about when we think about choice now is we have to get patients to realize more of what you're saying that, uh, you know, their doctor may refer them to someone. It's tough for a patient to know who a good GI doctor is. If their doctor says, go to this person, they're going to do it. Um, but I think the, they're starting to ask more. And I think knowing that they're in a closed system and that they can only go to XYZ doctor is concerning for some people, especially if they hear from someone else that they'd like you know, to go to this GI doctor. The question though is you as a physician may say, hey, you know, Joe Smith, I need to refer you to a, you know, a GI doctor. I love this guy. He's gonna do a great job for you. Well, what if Joe Smith can't either afford that person or if Joe Smith's not on their insurance, you know, how, how does that work from a patient perspective? Because that can interfere with your ability to deliver the care you want if the patient themselves doesn't have the coverage for it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is one of the biggest challenges in healthcare period is getting people the appropriate care, um, regardless of their coverage health insurance coverage. And so, you know, one of the things that I help people with is navigating cash prices in the community. For example, we work with a dermatologist who's able to give people a $138 cash price for a visit uh, if they need a diagnosis on something. The other uh, specialist we work with frequently is the cardiologist who's able to do you know, echocardiograms for $200 and Holter monitors for $100. And, um, you know, we've also worked with an ENT doctor in the community. They do a $175 visit plus nasopharyngoscope. So a lot of people with nasal polyps or swallowing difficulties or a suspected lesion on their vocal cords really benefit from a visit with an ENT plus you know, that nasopharyngoscope. So one of the things that I work on is cultivating specialists, private practice specialists in the community who take cash paying patients. And usually those are the doctors who are completely independent of the larger hospital systems 
who can control their own practice finances and offer such you know, great deals uh, for our patients and uh, a clear benefit for the community. So you know, I'm on a mission to provide affordable and accessible healthcare in my community. And part of that is, is uh, providing the kind of ecosystem where private practice specialists can thrive with good referrals of cash paying patients. So let me ask you, um, and I, I have a whole bunch of questions based on what you said, but I got to get to sort of your typical patient because I feel like it's going to be, you know, that they're they're not going to have insurance, right? So they're, you know, if you look at folks who don't have insurance, well, I mean, you tell me, right? Who are you? <laughs> What's the typical profile of your patient? Because, um, you know, I'd love to know. It just seems like a set that so many people could fall into the category of wanting this. Um, but when they have insurance, folks are sort of like, why would I pay anything else out of pocket when I can get a quote unquote, you know, I just pay a copay and see my primary care doctor. And, you know, if I go down this road, then it may cost me more money when I'm already paying for stuff, even though it may actually be cheaper for them because they've got to satisfy their deductible anyway. And your prices are sounding like way lower than anything anybody's annual deductible would be. So what's your typical, like, what's the profile like? Yeah, so we take care of all people across several different income brackets. Um, I usually say if you have an income, you can afford direct primary care. If you can afford a cell phone for yourself, you can afford a membership in our practice. And if you can afford a cable bill for your family, you can afford a membership in our practice for your family of four. Okay, so with that as a good starting off point, there's another piece to that. And that is that the cutoff for Medicaid in the state of Michigan is $17,000, meaning that if you make more than $17,000 a year as an individual, you're disqualified from Medicaid. So let's say you're a bartender, truck driver, hairdresser, um, you know, restaurant worker who um, is making twenty dollars or $24,000 a year on paper and disqualified from Medicaid, but you're not making enough to afford private health insurance because it can be oftentimes $300 or $400 a month for health insurance. So we get a lot of people in what I might call the messy middle where you're disqualified from Medicaid, but you can't afford health insurance. That's probably half of our patients. But then the other half of our patients have some sort of health insurance plan. Like, um, you know, we take care of folks who are CEOs of some of the biggest companies in Detroit. Uh, companies you've heard of. We take care of their CEOs and CFOs because they know that when they have a Plum Health membership, they can call me anytime they need to and be seen within like 30 minutes to an hour. You know, we guarantee a same day or next day appointment. And so we go above and beyond. So we have people with, you know, the platinum uh, health insurance plan who are choosing Plum Health in addition to that because they get great health care through us. And so one of the themes of this is that great health insurance does not mean great health care. Great health care is great health care. And, and that's what we provide at our clinic. Um, I'm curious to know for these CEOs, if they have, if they talk to you about offering your services to their employees. Yeah, that's the dream, right? And those relationships take a long time. You know, and, and I will tell you, we've worked with the owners of restaurants and I've been taking care of like a restaurant owner for two years. And then 
they decide, oh, I'd like to offer this to all my employees. And then we have 25 of their employees enroll with our clinic. So for those CEOs, you know, that's a long, that's a long play. That's a long game. And they basically have to trust us and trust the care that we provide um, for long enough that they could see this working for their employees. And that will come eventually, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I mean, it did really, uh, it's not a pay as you play kind of thing. I think from an employer's perspective, if they have a young set of employees who don't access healthcare much at all, it may be cheaper for them to, to use a service where they only are gonna pay for them, assuming you know that they're gonna access the care for, you know, not even strep throat, but like some, you know, pink eye, any of these smaller, um, very non-acute problems that can be dealt with through telemedicine. And, you know, so for them to have to pay 50 bucks a month, it may not be um, worth it for them if the group is younger, but if they're sort of middle-aged older, you know, I'm trying, it's, it's almost like the less that folks use it, the better it is for you, but the more that folks use it, the better it is for the employer, they get more value out of it. And obviously, you know, uh, the, the patient gets more value out of it just from a volume perspective. Do you find that there are on that note, like some super users? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, we take care of folks who come in once a year for their annual exam and some people we, you know, have to beg them to come in for an, an annual exam because they're just like, I feel fine. You know, I don't need to come in right now. Um, but then we have people who call us every day. We have one patient who calls our office every single day. Um, and that's okay. We have people who come in every single week. I have a, you know, elderly gentleman in the community who likes to walk to our office and read me poetry. You know, that's delightful. You know, this is why I love being a doctor because I get to meet people where they're at and help them along their health journey. And that looks really different for a lot of different patients. You know, I set, you know, every three weeks for the past uh, basically five months, I've been making a house call for a man in our community who recently had a stroke. And so he went into the hospital for cancer surgery and he had a stroke on the operating table. He developed a large ulcer, decubitus ulcer. And so I've been going to his house every three weeks to help to take care of him. And so, you know, there are people who really use the heck out of the service. And I love that because, you know, it, it all balances out, you know, on balance, people probably come to see us three to four times a year, just like a typical doctor, um, typical doctor's office volume. And um, we really get to help people who need us a lot because I can block out you know, I can black out two hours to drive out to somebody's house, spend an hour with them and then drive back to the office. So that's pretty special and not something I'd be able to do in the fee-for-service world. Yeah, I mean, it's something I think about a lot when trying to rethink insurance is how difficult it is for an insurance company to do a one-size-fits-all model, especially with regard to mental health, where you know, it's like, or even rehabilitation it, where there's something that's going to take multiple visits and it's really going to vary on, you know, the, the person on the specific issue they have on their commitment to rehab or, you know, mental wellness. And for an insurance company to say, well, you know, we're going to cover 12 visits. 
you know, it that's such a it's such a silly number um, because it, it it doesn't allow for what you're allowing for, which is that some people need the service a little bit, some people are going to use it a lot, and uh, I find that we all sort of fall victim to the law of averages on under an insurance plan because everyone who's on the insurance plan sort of has to take the average of the highs and the lows. And if you're a low, you know, utilizer, then you're overpaying. And if you need more care, you don't get enough, but you're sort of the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the real keen observation is why are we allowing not the doctor and not the patient to make decisions about what care is covered and how often that care should be given or received. And uh, it's frustrating to watch the health insurance continue, health insurance system to continue to be dysfunctional and leave a lot of people falling through the gaps of care. And that's where a model like direct primary care can come in and provide that you know, enhanced level of service and accessibility that uh, some people in our community need to, to, to really thrive. Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest challenge around, well, first of all, to answer your question, why, you know, the reason that, it, that we know the system is what it is, how it is, is because people, the, you know, the insurers are paid by the employers and there's only so much money that they can or want to spend, which gets back to this idea of yours scaling, you know, not just in Wayne County or, you know, the Detroit metro area, but just in general, because there are, you're aware, there are people like you all over the country and they're all sort of cobbling together these, uh, you know, cash groups that are outside the system that are totally effective for the, the patient populations that seek them out. How did, well, first of all, do you all, I'm sure there's some sort of national network where you guys can all band together or have lessons or, or scaling this to me is the hardest is the hardest part. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I first started this, there were about 300 doctors practicing in the direct primary care model. This was like November, 2016. Now there's about 1400, 1500 doctors across the country practicing this direct primary care model. So that's tremendous growth. I think we're going to see linear growth continuing uh, for several years in this direct primary care sort of market. Um, and there may be an 80-20 rule at play where 80% of doctors are comfortable with the insurance and 80% of patients are comfortable with insurance type care and 20% of doctors and 20% of patients want to go the direct primary care route, which still leaves a, a tremendous amount of growth potential because currently only one and a half percent of the physician workforce has adopted direct primary care. Uh, that's the family medicine doctors. So there's a tremendous upside here. And, and you're right, it's gonna be really difficult to scale because, um, you know, in a traditional sense, because doctors are really fiercely independent in this model. You know, you're taking a bunch of people who wanted to declare their independence from an insurance network, and now you're asking them to join an insurance network of all their doctors across the country, it seems kind of antithetical. However, there are groups that have kind of cobbled together statewide coverage through 
through networks of doctors sharing a, a mutual platform. So we could see more of that happen um, nationally or regionally. It's just kind of um, up to individual companies if they want to join those kind of networks. For me, I don't. I, I love being independent and I love uh, taking care of my community. And, you know, we're, we're creating satellite offices. So like if a company in Detroit wants to hire us, you know, we want to be able to scale to different communities to provide the kind of geographic coverage that their employees would need in order to sign up with us. Yeah, I mean, that's that would be the reason to do it, would just be to grow the business and get, you know, instead of sort of cherry picking individuals to be able to get that incremental growth through, through some small employers. You know, the interesting thing is when you think about private equity buying up physician practices and stuff, um, like I just went to my eye doctor, I've been going to this doctor for 15 years and I went to them last week and it was like, suddenly they're part of this big network. And so like everything's automated, I'm getting all these automated emails and, you know, the appointment reminders and it's, it's all this stuff that obviously is a platform that the uh, PE company has uh, sold the practice on promoting efficiencies. And if you're not doing billing, then, you know, like this whole economies of scale thing, like, you know, what are you guys going to do? Share a website? I mean, there's not a lot of backend costs from what I can tell based on how you practice that could be, um, that need to get scaled. It's just more of, it's more of a network uh, perspective on if I'm an employer and I've got folks all over the state of Michigan and, you know, you may be able to connect me with DPC doctors, but then it's like, how do I know that they they can get referred into all the specialists that they might need? That it's just a, to me, I think that's the, the growth hiccup in getting this adapted in a, in a wider base than sort of these one-off groups that you keep hearing about it, even though it's such a cool model. You're, you're not wrong. You know, that is, that is the growth challenges. Um, you know, when you have a restrictive insurance network, um, how do you get care for somebody who their insurance says your referral has to come from your PCP on the back of your insurance card and you can't be referred by any other doctor regardless of your symptoms or presentation or severity of illness, you must see the insurance-based insurance doctor on the back of your card. And we came across that this week. We, have, we had a patient who needed a prompt referral to cardiology. They're one of our patients. They have a HMO plan or a health maintenance organization. And we were able to call the cardiologist to get them in in about a week and a half. And the insurance company would not accept that referral and said they had to see their PCP. So we called the PCP's office and their next appointment was in a month and a half, right? So they can even get that referral to see the cardiologist, even though it's something that should be treated promptly. And that's, that's a real bane of our existence. You know, it's frustrating for patients. It's frustrating for us, the doctor. It's frustrating for the cardiologist who wants to take care of somebody who's acutely in need. Um, and it creates this really unsustainable system um, that we have to operate within and, and try to figure out. So we'll have to go to a different cardiologist or, or do something differently or, you know, you know, get on our knees and beg the insurance company or whatever to, to get this patient the care that they need. And that's, that's who loses in this game, the patient. 
and it's pisses me off and uh, I'm angry now. Thank you. <laughs> well, welcome to my world. Somehow I managed to keep smiling through all of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so my last sort of comment then is, is along these lines, let, who cares then about the insurance companies? I mean, they are like, you know, powerful and all of this stuff, but, you know, for, as I've been trying to grow our own business with Know Thyself and do this startup, one of the things that I've, I've realized now is that trying to put a, you know, a square peg in a round hole, like a new consumer-based idea and try and get it funded by the current insurance system and through employers and all that is big, is a fool's game. So we are just, our whole MO now with predicting outcomes and we do a health assessment um, is, is we're just going direct to consumer and our whole pitch now is like, you need to be in charge. You need to be the, you're the decider, you know, find a doctor you like and you're the decider and work with them. And here are the different options. You know, if you have knee problems and a doctor says you need a knee replacement, well, by the way, here's the whole bunch of things that you, you should consider and you should talk to your doctor about it. It shouldn't just be the insurance company says this, so your doctor does this, so you do that. It, we, we're trying to get patients to be more engaged and informed and empower them, which is such a kind of weak word, only because I don't think that this insurance model is sustainable at all. And if what you're doing on its own is providing value, which it is because you're in business, right? And people like you and from what, you know, your mission is there. You are who you are. You like, just keep going, you know? And maybe this isn't about scaling to fit into the employer base as it is today. And maybe it really is just about, we're going to do what we do and we're going to knock it out of the park and we're going to make our referrals and we're worth the money. Like you said, if you can afford a cell phone, if you can afford Netflix, you're going to get value out of giving us the, you know, the 50 bucks a month because we're here for you because you're going to go to somebody's house after they've had a stroke. You're going to listen to somebody read you poetry because they need that human interaction. I mean, that is giving someone healthcare by just engaging with them. That should, that's the win right there to me. So, you know, you already won. So congratulations. Thanks. I mean, it does feel like that. I mean, I get to come into the office. I take care of, uh, my patients and we generally have a really good time taking care of our patients. It's only when we have to work on referrals that, that this becomes a headache. And that's the only, the only time I have a bad day is when I have to interact with an insurance company. Uh, maybe we should quote, I should like write that on the wall or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe you just, uh, I don't know. You have to have some sort of therapy. Maybe you need a direct primary care doctor so you can go complain to them about <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why, that's why I hired other doctors so I can complain to them. They can complain back to me about their, their health insurance challenges. There but, you go. No, I, I truly believe in this model. This model is righting a lot of wrongs in our health insurance based system, in our healthcare system in general. And we're going to continue to do this work no matter how many challenges are before us because our patients deserve it. Our community deserves it. And our nation deserves more doctors who are practicing this way. So we're excited to lead the charge. Uh, something that I do on the side is I help doctors start and grow their own direct primary care practices through my website, uh, startupdpc.com. We just had a masterclass over the weekend and we had uh, 11 doctors from across the country come to our office and learn how to 
start their own practices. So that's, that's a pretty exciting moment. You know, pretty soon you'll have 11 more doctors practicing in this type of model and serving their patients in this way. Well, that is terrific. So I am so grateful you've been on the show. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm excited about what you're doing. Um, is there any, how can people reach out to you besides your website um, if they'd like to learn more? Yeah. So, um, you know, our website's plumhealthdpc.com. That DPC is for direct primary care. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Facebook at Plum Health DPC. And um, you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook if you want to send me a friend request. I'm happy to chat with you about any healthcare related topic. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been phenomenal. And uh, hopefully we can solve some more of these challenges today and throughout this week. Awesome. All right. This is the Powers Report podcast. I invite you to subscribe to our show. Check us out at powersreportpodcast.com. You can access over two years of podcasts on the website and communicate through the contact page. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening.